and we're live. Hey, good afternoon, Michael Wynn, Chief Digital Officer of Digital Ops, a division of RB Oppenheim Associates. Welcome to the Digital Marketing Podcast and video series where we talk about digital marketing strategies and tactics to help grow your business. Today, I am joined by an incredible guest speaker on the show, Paxton Gray of 97th Floor. Paxton, welcome to the show. Pleasure to be here. Thank you. Yeah, we we have we have, I, I wish I, I should have just gone air. We could have been organic on this whole thing because our warm up to this episode was literally the the hair on my arms was standing up. No lie. But guys, what we're going to talk about today is how to break the mold of what's not working and pivot to meaningful business growth in 2020 and how that relates to your marketing and digital marketing efforts. And, and, and having Paxton, on, Paxton Gray on the show, um, I think, is, is a real treat for all of us, me included. Um, but for, for those of you who are tuning in uh, on Spotify or iTunes or watching on YouTube, welcome to the show. Um, so Paxton, uh, you know, you guys, you, you started in a, in a, in the base, it's, it's, it's almost the story of a garage band that becomes a rock star band. And, and I love this, that, you know, here you are, you know, in the basement, uh, of a building, starting your business in, in Utah, and then just exploding into a nationally recognized agency, providing, services to brands like Discover and ESPN and Salesforce and so many other really iconic brands. And, you know, I, tell, tell us, like, how, how has this whole metamorphosis kind of happened for you in, uh, you know, and how the journeys began? Yeah, so I always planned on working for a big, sexy New York advertising agency. That was the, that was the plan. And, uh, when time came for me to, to kind of start moving out uh, out east to do that, uh, I also got engaged to a girl who would rather be around cows and horses than taxi cabs and buildings. So, uh, so I started looking around uh, here uh, in Utah for a place to work, and I saw 974. That sounded like that big, sexy agency I was going to work at. Uh, I went to for the job interview, and I was asking around. Uh, I was like, "Have you guys? Do you guys know where this is?" And no one knew where it was, and I almost gave up, and I saw down some stairs into a little tiny basement office this sign that said "Nice Seven Floor." Um, back then, it, you know, I, um, it was just a, a different place. It was a very, very small team. Um, but in my time on the early days, I really caught the vision of where digital marketing was going and what it could be. And I thought to myself, if I stay here and just work my butt off, I can help grow it into the big, sexy agency mm-hmm. that I have always wanted to work at. And that's what we've been just hustling and working towards for. Uh, I've been here for uh, seven years now, and um, that's been it's been a great journey. At this point, we're up to I think we we just passed a hundred employees. Um, wow! And uh, we have a couple offices, and it's been it's been a wild ride. Just uh, really, we we've, we've got to do some just crazy fun work, and uh, I can't imagine uh, working anywhere else at this point. So it's been been awesome. Kudos to you, uh, you and the team for sure. You know, one of the things that I came across uh, as I was cyber stalking you uh, b- before our talk, so I could, you know, I 
I, I practice what I preach. I get to know my audience as well as my speakers. But um, you know, I, I came across a video that you did in 2016, and the phrase that absolutely just shook me to the core was, "You, we have to." And you were talking about in the context of it. Um, you were talking about why 97th floor should be considered for an award that you were, um, uh, I guess, that you were being considered for. But you said one of the things that we do differently is, is we're, we're always looking for finding new ways of doing things. And you said that in 2016. And I can't help but to think here we are four years later in 2020. And, and we've gone through incredible, like in 2016, we weren't even talking about you know, Amazon smart devices or, you know, um, you know, Tesla or, or, or really talking about, you know, automated driving cars. Like the world has literally changed since 2016 in an incredible way. So how do you think that that phrase now impacts 97 floor and then businesses in general? Yeah, someone told me a, a while ago uh, that if you look back on the work you did a few years ago and you're not just a little bit embarrassed, that uh, that means you're not improving. So it's a good thing to look back and think, ah, oh, shoot, I wish we had been doing this. Um, and I could say, you know, I look back at Nice and Four four years ago and we were just a totally different company than we are now. Wow. I, I assume that three years from now we'll be a totally different company again. I hope that's the case. Um one one struggle that we've had, and I'm sure other companies experience this, is we get bigger and bigger. It signals to employees that uh, everything we do is a little bit more monolithic, and and, um, and and you come on, and this is the way it's done at at, at Nice M4. There's 100 people here, and this is how we do it. And that's not at all the signal that I want to send to people. I want to send a signal of come in and break stuff. <laughs> you can if you see anything that needs to be fixed or could be improved, you have permission and freedom to do that. Uh, so, uh, you know, it's harder than, than just saying that, you know, I say that all the time and, and yet some people, they, they don't, they don't do that. And so really encouraging that innovation, helping them understand that nothing here is sacred, uh, as long as it, it helps our customers, then we're going to do it. And so, um, we actually, uh, last year just started what we call the never been done before awards, <laughs> uh, basically throughout, uh, the whole year. Um, everyone does their campaigns and at the end of the year, each team submits their best campaign just internally. And then we have a little bit of an award show and we pick our winner and the, the winning team that worked on that campaign gets a, uh, an all expense paid trip to Hawaii for them and their spouse. Wow. We just last week, we had a team, uh, come back from Hawaii that won last year's never been done before awards. And, uh, it's just kind of a fun way to keep people doing like they have to do something that we have never done before. That's the only requirement for the award. Hmm. Um, so it's been fun to see what teams come up with and it really incentivizes them and encourages them to just try new things. Uh, Cause frankly in, in marketing, that's what we've got to do. We've always have to be trying and testing new things. Yeah. I mean, you know, guys, here's the thing. When, when I, when I hear Paxton say never been done before, I, I can't help again, but to just, like, you know, get goosebumps um, because I feel like this theme more than ever for 2020 is you have got to break the mold. You've got to let go of the side of the pool and, and be, you know, bold and brave to leave, you know, the status quo because, and, and, and the, 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 the part that is so difficult, it's the pivot. It's the letting go of that comfort 
Um, and so whether you're a marketing agency or whether you're a healthcare agency or, you know, whether whether you, are, you know, are the executive director of an association, it doesn't matter whether you have a local business or a state business or a national business. If you're not thinking about how things are changing and, and, and having a, a regular exercise, just like Paxton, you were explaining with your team, um, you're going to be set up for for some serious trouble in the very, very near future. What do you think, Paxton, is is really the biggest mistake that marketers need to avoid in 2020? Um, like I was saying earlier, I teach a, a class um, at a local university here. And uh, the thing I tell my students, uh, if you could pull one thing away from this class, it would be to not make the mistake that we all make, which is rely on our own experience to make decisions in, in marketing. We, we too often ask ourselves, like, what do I think would be funny? What do I think would be engaging? What do I think would be helpful? Or what do I think looks good? Frankly, none of that matters. It doesn't matter what we think about any of that. What matters is what the market thinks. And we are not the market. Even if we are in the demographics of the market, we're still not the market. Uh, expanding our field of understanding is something that's so crucial and frankly, humans are just so bad at. Uh, we, we, we think that we just understand the world and we think that we know it all uh, based off our own experience. But there's so many uh, you know, examples in, in politics and just in the world, frankly, where that's just not the case. Uh, and so uh, the beautiful thing is that we live in a world with more data than it has ever been accessible before. So the real trick for marketers is to say, stop relying on your own experience and start gathering data to learn more about the audience that you're talking to, understand their experience, understand what they think would be engaging, funny, helpful, or look good, right? Um, and so that's, that's, I think, the biggest mistake that marketers are making and, and, uh, and have the potential of making in 2020 moving forward. Yeah, you know, and to dovetail that, Paxton, you know, one of the things that I've uh, probably just within the last 18, 24 months, one of the things that's been really obvious to me is there is an epidemic of the hippo syndrome happening. I don't know if you're familiar with the hippo syndrome, but the hippo syndrome is, is really when the highest paid person's opinion, hippo, gets in the way of really good creative or, or really good campaign ideas from moving forward because they don't get it. And, and I think you just kind of spoke to, you know, it's not about me. It's, it's about what the market says is good content. So I love that. Um, all right. So another thing that I, that I found, uh, you guys do probably one of the sexiest uh, little, little getaways for, for agencies and creatives you do this thing called Mastermind. Um, you know, the, the, the video for the, the setup for that is like, it, it looks like, a, it, it looks like a, a Netflix show that I want to watch. Like, where are all the episodes, man? <laughs> I am dying to see the next episode of Mastermind. I'm literally like, I'm going to go through and watch all the keynote um, things that you've got on your YouTube channel. Guys, if you're listening, Google 97th floor and then go down to mastermind and watch all of the videos because I guarantee you they're going to be fantastic. Um, but one of the things you did a session um, called art and science and, and it was really about content marketing. Um, 
set that up for me. I know you guys have done some some really cool thing with 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 data and and artists. So give me give us the the takeaways of that program. Yeah, um, this kind of stems from my understanding. Like when I hire people at Night Seven Floor, I always try to keep in my mind this this model of scale, right? And we have sometimes I think we get a little. Uh, heavy on the creative side and not super heavy on the analytical side. And then sometimes we're a little more analytical, not creative enough. And so I'm always trying to keep those in balance in terms of who I bring on to our agency. Um, and so that, that dichotomy, that battle, I feel like is always something that we're kind of contending with. And uh, one example of this that I talk about in that uh, presentation is uh, TFIDF analysis. So uh, four years ago, um, this was a really, really big focus for us in terms of we, we had built some software to do this analysis for us where it's based off of the assumption that uh, Google wants to deliver the best results possible as soon as possible to its users, right? They want someone to search, click, find what they're looking for, have a great experience, done. Uh, and so in doing that, we believe that Google waits content that it considers to be more comprehensive, not longer, but more comprehensive around a given subject. And so uh, what we're trying to do with this TFIF analysis is essentially see what Google has chosen to rank uh, in the top 10 for a given query and kind of analyze all of the words and phrases they use in that top 10 altogether to see what happened, what seemed to be the most important words and phrases attached to this query, with the idea being that we could then take that data, turn it around, and produce content that is hitting all the right spots and get that to rank higher. And, uh, and it, it works, uh, frankly. Like, we've seen tremendous results coming from it. Uh, that balance, though, between creative and data, when we first launched this, it was very data-heavy. And we would say, uh, we would say, you need to say this word eight times and this word 13 times and this word seven times. We would hand all those requirements off to a writer. The writer would turn it out. It would meet all the right spots, and frankly, it would get ranking. But then I started asking myself, like, do we even want that kind of content to rank? Because uh, it was producing, in my opinion, not really the best content. And so what we did is we flipped it and we said, okay, instead of the number one priority being hitting all these words the right number of times, essentially catering to the data, really the number one priority is the customer's experience and producing great content. And we're going to let the data help inform and guide us in that pursuit, mm -hmm. but not be the number one authority on what is good content, right? And since then, we've now, we now use it more, less of TFIDF analysis and more kind of semantic analysis. It aids the, the writer in making sure that they're hitting some key points around a given subject, but we're not giving them number requirements around word count or things like that that create, frankly, an inauthentic, uh, kind of sometimes disjointed piece of content. Uh, just kind of give things and, and, and that allows them to create more robust, more complete content. Yeah, you know, it's interesting, Paxton. Um, we we kind of experienced a, a shift as well, probably about 18 to 24 months ago when it when it came to some of the digital um, campaigns that we were doing, especially like on Facebook and Instagram, where in the past we had, you know, come up with really great, you know, visual creative or the video. And, you know, we had the client putting a large budget behind that single piece of creative and we got some great results, we got great engagement, um, but what we didn't have was a, a really granular breakdown of the segments within their you know, audience uh, types 
And so we started exploring this idea of, okay, instead of taking one piece of creative for that, what if we broke out all of your initiatives into very granular, you know, emotional uh, points or, you know, granular interest points. And so instead of running a campaign with a single piece of creative, we began running campaigns with 30, 40, 50, 60 pieces of creative. And, you know, you've been, people, you, others have been doing that on AdWords for a long time, but on, on Facebook, that's not really been what, how people use the platform. Oh my gosh. What, what happened was the data that we got, the science of, okay, out of these 34 pieces of creative, who's really the, the things that are really resonating with your audience on a very segmented granular level are, you know, points 9, 24, and 48. And so then we're able to kind of morph that, that mid-funnel content to go super deep into those areas, you know, and then be able to move people from that interest and engagement, you know, with this large um, contextual creative at scale model. And that's been a real difference for us is, is and, it, and it echoes what you're saying of, you know, don't just take the the data of how the ad is performing. Find find the intricate details and and where, like you said, this 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 it it it, it removed the um, subjectivity of what is good creative out of our hands and put it back in the market's hands because now we got you know 40, 50, 60 pieces of creative and the market is determining what's good. What are they responding to? And I think that that has been for us a learning experience. And it's been a huge benefit to our clients because it's informed, you know, initiatives and programs and, and other core business decisions because they're seeing how the it, it's literally like having a real time focus group running at one time. I mean, it's really incredible when you get that kind of data. So I, I think that Blending the art and science in digital marketing is, is absolutely crucial. All right, so here's the million-dollar question. The million-dollar question is this. If, if I'm a marketing agency or I'm a business and I'm listening to this show and I've been doing the same old thing that I've been doing for the last five years, 10 years, I'm getting the same results, how in the world am I going to be able to make the pivot and get out of, of the mindset of the status quo. How can I do that? How can I get out of my own head? Yeah. Well, I think um, great marketing campaigns are just like great businesses. If you look at a marketing campaign as if you're really just a startup company, I think there's a lot of good insights that come from that. And in my opinion, great companies are formed when someone asks the question, how can I make the world a better place? What product can I produce or service can I provide that will help people and aid them in their pursuit of whatever it is they want to do, right? And I think the same is true with marketing. Uh, you know, we have access to these budgets and these resources. And uh, too often, we start by asking the question, okay, how do I make a bunch of money from this? Hmm. That's just like starting a company and saying, as your number one priority, how do I make a bunch of money from this? I think better businesses are started by asking the question, how can I make the world a better place? And then figuring out how does the revenue come? I think the same thing is true for marketing, mm -hmm. saying, how can I really speak to my audience, my market? How can I assist them and make their lives better? And then figure out how to monetize that afterwards and get the conversions. 
obviously the conversions and the revenue are important. We need to track that. We need to produce that. You know, we can't ignore that completely. But our number one focus, I think, should be making their lives better and turning them into raising fans. Because if we do that, the revenue will take care of itself. Mm. Um, and so uh, I think if we were to take a step back right now, the status quo is how do I squeeze a little bit more juice from this orange? How do I get a little bit better ROAS? How do I tweak SEO a little bit to get better rankings? How do I just get a squeeze a little bit more out of my Facebook ads, right? Um, but the question really should be, how do I understand my audience better? How do I get more intimately familiar with them? How do I know them to the point where when I produce content, I know they're going to love it. I just know they're going to eat up this ad. I know they're going to eat up this campaign or my website or my product offering. Because we can, if we know them so well, that's going to prevent missteps. And it's going to make the monetization just, frankly, an easy part. The hardest part is just understanding them and, and speaking their language and, and, and giving them stuff that's going to help them. So I think that is the biggest shift that we need to continue seeing. I think a lot of people are doing a good job of this. Uh, but we need to continue seeing it more, um, just really understanding who these people are, what they're thinking, and how we can serve them with content, web pages, ads, and products that help make their life and their 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 world a better place. Oh my gosh! So Paxton, that is not the answer that we were thinking you were going to say. Like I'm having to pull over in the car, stop, slam on the brakes, pull the train cord, stop. What did he just say? To to make to make the world a better place and not think about money first is that what you said? Oh my gosh, are you out of your mind? Are you a heretic? Wow, you are absolutely off the rails, my friend. I I I love it. I absolutely love it. I couldn't agree more. I I think that that is a great way to break the mold of what's not working and think differently. And guys, here's the thing. This 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 line this ties into the last point I, I want to cover, and that is if you're not doing this, you know, don't be Kodak cameras of the 2020, right? Like they were killing it, right? They passed up the opportunity to go into mobile and and into the devices and and they missed it, right? Because they were not thinking, how could we make it better? Guys, disruption is on the doorstep of every industry, of every economic sector. I don't care if you're in finance. I don't care if you're in real estate. I don't care if you're in transportation. You're already disrupted there. Um, but it, it is it is throughout. So the last thing I want to talk about, uh, you know, Paxton, you, you guys have grown from a handful of guys in the basement of a building to over 100 employees we know that the, that the information about how the gig economy is going to impact businesses uh, rising from, you know, the mid 30 percent to, you know, somewhere in, in the 42 to 46 percent of the workforce is going to be powered by the gig economy, meaning people are looking to leverage their talents and abilities outside of the normal nine to five cubicle world. And, and so give a minute to talk about structure or building a team, whether you're an agency, whether you're a, a you know, brick and mortar local business or, or state or national reach, really doesn't matter. What do you think about how building a team looks in 2020? Yeah, I think uh, it's fascinating to watch this roll out. Um, what's true about most people is that we love working with other people. 
I mean, that's the number one complaint I hear from people working at home is that they just feel lonely Hmm. and they like to be in a place where they can interact with others. And so I don't think that people are moving towards the gig economy in an attempt to escape working in a company. I think they're trying to escape the old ideas of how companies need to work. Mm. Um, and so, you know, one, one way that we're trying to address that, we have a system called a row. It's not invented by us. Uh, it's a results on the work environment. Basically all of our hundred employees are judged only on the results that they produce for our clients. Are they hitting the goals or are they not hitting the goals? We're not measuring how often they're here, uh, how much time they spend sitting in their seats. We're not, we don't, you know, it doesn't matter where they are. It doesn't matter if they decide to work from home or from their desk today. You know, we provide this office just as a resource to them. If they want, if they're the kind of person that likes to come in an office, it's here. If they're the kind of person that likes to work at home, work at home. It really, I don't care about any of that. All mm-hmm. I care about is, are you doing your job? And uh, I like to think, you know, the bigger nice and floor grows, the more pressure we're going to put on the market on all these other companies that are treating their employees, frankly, like children. Hmm. Um, they're watching them. You know, I hear complaints that like the boss says, put your phones away. I don't want to see phones out. What do you care if phones are out? If the work's getting done, who cares? If they're taking a selfie or they're playing a game or frankly, if they're watching Netflix, who cares? As long as their job is getting done and it's getting done well, that's all you should care about. And frankly, not just should care about, I think that's all you're entitled to care about. Hmm. You're paying them to do this job. So just let them do the job. You're not paying them to sit in the seat. And frankly, if you are, you're wasting your money and you're wasting their time. Hmm. Um, so wow. I think we're going to see, I think we're moving towards this gig economy, but I, 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 I think we're going to see companies respond to that and, and alleviate and fix a lot of the old broken thinking about how a company should work. And we might see a little bit of a rebound. Um, but I don't think we're ever going to see zero gig economy, but I, I think we're probably going to see a little bit more growth and then maybe a little bit of a swing back, uh, as these companies are forced to contend with the fact that they've provided really bad, uh, experiences and bad places for, for those people to work. Wow. That's great. Paxson, this has been one of the best episodes I have done in the last two years. I'm incredibly grateful and thankful that you've come on the show. Hi. Uh, shared your wisdom and experience with uh, the listeners and viewers of the show. Thank you again. Thank you. This has been great. I love, love talking to you. Great, great discussion. Absolutely. Podcast. Guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Again, my name is Michael Wynn. I'm the Chief Digital Officer of Digital Ops, a division of RB Oppenheim Associates. Have yourself a great weekend and tune in next week. Take care. Take care, Paxton. See ya. See ya.